On June 9, 1995, a mother and her young daughter attend a Little League baseball game in Alma, Arkansas. The girl makes two friends and asks her mother if she can go catch fireflies with them. At 10.30, the two young friends return, but she is never seen again. You're listening to the Mysterious Bruce Podcast, and tonight we bring you the case of Morgan Nick. Welcome Welcome. to what? (laughs) To a deep, dark, dank, moist basement somewhere in the bowels of Georgia. Ow, that didn't hurt, but it made a noise. I was gonna say you just—I mean, you hit your face on a big fuzzy (laughs) mic. It's fuzzy. Hit him right in the lips. Yeah, like, I have been trying. He screws with my sound so much that we've had to physically mark the microphones so he doesn't accidentally get mine because I'm basically mouth-hugging it. <laughs> That's not what I would say. <laughs> but I like your analogy. Is that not right? That's a good analogy. Is that, is that not how you say that? I guess. Oh, wait, I put it to my lips. <laughs> and I take a sip. <laughs> All right, listen, to boys and girls. We are finally finishing off Mr. Chuck Ball's B-E-E-R-U-N. Beer run. From the great state of Arkansas. And since we are tackling the case from Arkansas, we are drinking the Lost 40 Brewing Company's second rodeo. It's a lovely, lovely light beer. And Coach doesn't like light beer, but he enjoys this. I've actually kind of come around on light beer a little bit, as long as it's craft light beer, because they tend to use a whole lot better ingredients. Like, you're telling me InBev is uh, using the highest quality, or they're just buying random shit off the internet? (laughs) I don't know. That's a toss-up. Just cramming the truck, Roy. We got Bud Light to make. All right, look, <laughs> how do you get a size 68 extra fat and a size 12 dwarf? Well, ask my pants. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for a Smokey and the Bandit reference, but you just knocked that one out of the park. <laughs> man, that, bu- that button just a holding on, man. He's the real MVP. <laughs> oh. I don't remember that reference in Smoking the Bandit. It's been a long time since I watched it. He was asleep in the hammock, and he opens his eyes, and he raises his hat, and they're dressed the same. Daddy, daddy, count the money, boy. (laughs) All right, so that's enough of that. Five-star review? Let me silence my phone, please. Jesus, I know. Technology is a wonderful thing. God, good thing you know how to edit, because I certainly don't. All right, we got two five-star reviews we're going to review. We got from September 21st, we got Black, uh, Black, I almost said Black Mama, Mamba, but it's Black Macabre, which is, I think, how they spell that. Macabre. (laughs) I really almost said that, and I didn't. I know if I did, you would not be editing that crap. Nope, Macabre (laughs) would be on a T-shirt somewhere. (laughs) 
But uh, you guys are awesome, friendly, funny, and personal. I've pretty much binged over the last week, and I've listened to every episode. Deuces, and that one's entitled Right On, five stars. And then on Friday, we got one from Heather. God dang, Heater. 1974, my eyes are getting bad and my phone screen's all busted up, so. Excuses. No, it's excuses. two excuses. Here we go. Awesome podcast, five stars. Love this podcast, a couple of rednecks. Parentheses, I'm from Kentucky, so I can say that. We know our own. I don't know, man, and I definitely don't mean this as an insult whatsoever. And if you're from the South, you know that this is not an insult. I'd say you're more hillbillies up there. Mountain people. Which is not an insult Mm-mm. at all. I yeah. would actually prefer to be called a hillbilly than a redneck. But and they all came from the same place. Yeah. I mean, I see a hillbilly like, you know. Somebody you don't cross. Drink, you know, the whole show justified. And then a redneck's going to be that some bitch at the red light that has the, the big truck that leans up. He can't see a damn thing. He's got the big... Uh, Lights in his wheels. Big, yeah, he's got lights in his wheels, and he's got an exhaust port. <laughs> I hope this person's not like, they just described my entire Family. vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> and you got the truck nuts. <laughs> anyway, uh, so they cover everything from... <laughs> truck nuts. We've gone everywhere. I for five straight minutes in the middle of a review. Okay, anyway. They cover everything from cryptids, paranormal, mysterious disappearances, and an unsolved murder. On the Rhonda Sue Warford episode, you said you couldn't get any Kentucky beer. How's some bourbon barrel stout sound? I can make that happen. I work for Barton's 1792 Distillery, and we can get a... Can we get a shout-out? Well, Barton's 1972 Distillery, you have got... Your shout-out. Your shout-out, sir. Our 1792 Full Proof was named Best Whiskey of 2020 and won the double gold medal. Need a break from beer? I can help with that as well. I, yes, I need that more than you know, sir, or ma'am. Please, I didn't assume. Love the show. Keep this. Keep the hits coming. Man, that's awesome. We got some comments from our patrons, and I'm going to start reading those because they've shown Coach some love. But the first one was no love for him. The first one was the uh, Portrait of Knox podcast, and they commented with, thank you guys for such a kind shout-out. I was really excited when I found your podcast, and I have been thoroughly enjoying all the episodes. Small disclaimer, the laptop I'd been using for my podcast got trashed, so I lost all my logins to everything, never wrote them down, and it's been an indefinite hiatus for a bit. Still have all my equipment, though, and hoping some day to get back into it. Thanks again for the wonderful episode. I'm really glad I found you guys. Peace Cat, OG patron, says, Thank y'all. Apparently, I listen to too many Southern podcasts because my husband noticed I'm using Southern lingo, and I guess I can have a twang here and there. God. The other one was, So good to hear Coach again. Aww. And that was April Fowler, and Natalie Walker commented, My thoughts exactly. Aww. Welcome back, Coach. You were missed. Thank you, guys. I'm the glue to hold this together. I about choked on my own spit. <laughs> All right, so let's get into it. We are going to talk about the... Did we talk about what we're drinking? Yes. God, you, this is why you're the glue. You keep up with everything. 
I remember I posted a meme that showed a dog like squinting, looking at a computer screen. And it was like, me, five minutes into the podcast, I'm listening to you to see the killer's face. And I'm like, no, that's me during the own, my own podcast when I was supposed to research my own topic. <laughs> uh. There's been literal days, folks, where I've walked in and go, what are we doing? What are we covering today? And he's like, you picked it. <laughs> that's right. Like, this has happened numerous like, times. You you picked this. This is your case. Like, huh? <laughs> All right. So on September 12th, 1988, John and Colleen Nick gave birth to a beautiful and healthy baby daughter they named Morgan Chantel Nick. She was raised in the small town of Ozark, Arkansas, a community of fewer than 4,000 residents. Now, this is a serious question. Did we mention that this is a user requested? No, we did not. But well, this is a highly requested. Now, that's a good point. That is a I good glue that, part I did there. That one. Yeah. Yep. That's Elmer's right there. <laughs> well, as soon as we get up to Gorilla, we know that I'm doing real good. I thought she was going to get that craft glue, that something, something 3000. Listen, God, we're going to, this is, people are. This is why they tune in. They oh, like okay. the bullshit. They like the banter. Yes, they do. Okay. I moved in. My friend is rich. Okay. And I've not met this friend. No, because he lives in Alabama and we don't talk anymore. Well, I mean, we're still friends. We were high, high school friends. We just lost touch. You know but he's rich. He is rich. He doesn't want to sponsor. Like, oh, name no, across man, the... no, he would never. But anyway, that's not the point. He owned this big house in my hometown, and me and his other friend were like, hey, man, we need to move, get out of our parents' house. You know, let's let's move there. Huge house, like literal, the bottom floor had three bedrooms, and he sold, he sold, he rented us the bottom floor uh, for $500 a month. My part, we had two other guys, one other guy living with us. My part of the rent was $150 a month. Can't find that no more. Pretty good. Well, first night we move in, my uh, drawer breaks. Okay. And I'm using Gorilla Glue and the lid comes off. And like Gorilla Glue just hits the carpeted floor. That's not good. So I'm in a panic. What do I do? I pour water on it. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So somebody knows what happens <laughs> when you pour water on Gorilla Glue. <laughs> there should be a disclaimer on the back of the bottle. Uh, there is. I checked <laughs> after. But, yeah, I don't know if you know this, folks, but when you throw water on Gorilla Glue, it goes from wet to unbreakable in about a second and a half. So I'm like carpeted floor, just moved in, my buddy's house, like, why is your dresser in the middle of the room? Well, I thought it'd be a good place. Some people, some like, feng shui. This was about eleven years ago. I got some people I still know that live there. One of the guys that lived with us still lives there. Yeah, that glue's still there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. <laughs> that glue's going nowhere. Where you going? No fucking nowhere. 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 So, all right, back to the case. Back for to God the case. Sakes. Yes, good God. All right, so. She was raised in the small town of Ozark, Arkansas, a community of fewer than 4,000 residents. By 1994, Morgan became the oldest of two other siblings, Logan Nick, who was almost four years old, and a younger sister, Taryn Nick, who was only 22 months old. As a young kid with a wild imagination, Morgan's aspirations ranged from being a medical doctor to a circus performer. In school, she had signed up for the track team, but quickly regretted that decision because she did not enjoy sweating. That's a girl after my own heart right there. I don't enjoy sweating, but I don't have a choice. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) 
I don't either. In turn, she decided to start participating in the Girl Scouts, where they often did indoor activities. This girl is light years ahead of her friends. Even at at such a young age, Morgan possessed character traits that would lead to a successful future no matter what she decided to pursue. Not only did she have the uncanny ability to make other people laugh, she also never limited herself to experiencing new things. When she was five years old, she adopted a kitten she named Emily, and a bond was immediately formed. From then on, the two were thick as thieves. <laughs> you heard me breathe, so you paused. And Emily, all I was going to say, I didn't even want to, but I was like, man, I need to shut up, let him get done. But I hate animals named after people. I do too. I don't like it. But I own a dog named Todd, and he's awesome. Oh, he's the best dog ever, but man, come on, like Captain Meatloaf, Snickerdoodles, come on. Anyway, I'm sorry. That's okay. But anyway, Morgan and Emily would be found many a nights sleeping in the same bed. She enjoyed being around others, be, and people loved being around her. But on a summer day in 1995, everything that should have been for Morgan's future was snuffed out, and the young girl with a heartwarming smile that could make anyone laugh suddenly had an entire community in shambles. So on Friday, June 9th, 1995, it was a warm summer day. Colleen, her mother, wanted to share an afternoon with Morgan because they hadn't had a day to themselves in a long while. They planned to visit the small town of Alma, Arkansas, just 30 minutes west of Ozark to attend a Little League baseball game with some friends living in the area while Morgan's grandmother babysat the other two children. That afternoon, Colleen and Morgan ate grilled cheese sandwiches they made together before leaving Ozark in their Nissan Stanza. This was going to be their first time visiting Alma. They arrived at the local park where the baseball game was being held without any problems and met up with their friends. By the time the game had started, there was a total of almost 300 people in attendance. It's pretty big for a a little league. Yeah. Throughout the evening, everyone was having a great time. People could be here, could be here. People could be heard roaring, and laughter and cheers from the bleachers would erupt. Morgan would sneakily untie her mom's tennis shoes when she wasn't looking as a prank. Morgan became restless around 10.30 p.m., and two of Morgan's friends, 8-year-old Jessica and 10-year-old Ty, invited her to play in the nearby field just 50 yards away to catch lightning bugs. I thought she just met them. They were actual friends. Well, that's oh. the way. That's what I had. I had seen both. So, depending on what you read, they had met that night, yeah, or they you. they were acquaintances. It's inconsequential whether they knew each other or not, because these two girls nothing happened to them. So Morgan asked her mother for permission, but Colleen was hesitant due to the late hour and being unfamiliar with the area. But her friends assured her everything would be okay because kids often played in the field next to the parking lot without any hiccups. Colleen ultimately gave her consent, but told her to stay in view. Quote, she threw her arms around my neck and gave me a big hug. She kissed me on the cheek and then climbed out of the bleachers and ran to where the cars were parked, which was less than 50 yards from where we were sitting. We, the parents in the stands, could see the children running back and forth chasing fireflies, end quote. Colleen recalled that Morgan was hard to miss because she had her green Girl Scout t-shirt on and white tennis shoes that could easily be seen from a far distance. Colleen would periodically glance over to check on Morgan, and nothing seemed out of the ordinary as her and her two friends pranced across the field where the parking lot lot poles shined over the entire area. 
15 minutes had quickly passed by, and at 10.45 p.m., the baseball game ended, and people were beginning to gather their things and walk to their vehicles. Morgan's two friends, Jessica and Ty, ran back to the bleachers to meet up with their families, but Morgan was not with them. Colleen, confused by the situation, asked where Morgan was, and the two girls said she was in the parking lot near her car emptying out sand that filled her shoes from running back and forth in the field. You know, I mean, I'm de- please don't think that I'm blaming these two girls because, of course, they had nothing to do with it. But if you have little girls, you need to tell them to stick together. Those two girls should have never left Morgan. Again, not their fault. They're little girls. They're they little yeah. girls. I mean, come on. But if you're responsible for raising little girls, you need to tell them. Now, Colleen frantically ran to her car, expecting her daughter to be there, but she wasn't. She looked around the outside of the car, opened the doors, looked inside the car, thinking she had gotten in. Even at one point, she looked under the car, just thinking she had to be somewhere. Within a couple of minutes, all the people and most of the cars were gone, and it was very clear that Morgan was not anywhere in sight. Growing more concerned by the second, she alerted one of the baseball coaches, and they began asking Jessica and Ty more questions, and some new alarming information came to light. The two said that while they had been playing, a man they characterized as, quote, creepy, approached and spoke to them as they were dumping sand from their shoes. He had been standing beside a faded red-colored Ford pickup truck that had a white camper shell. Not too long after the baseball game had ended, and that's when they ran back to their parents. An immediate search began, but Morgan and the eerie man next to the truck were nowhere to be seen. The police were called to the scene, and they arrived within six minutes, which is phenomenal, even for 1995 standards. And I know it's a small town. Very much so, though. But they did, and we throw shade when police screw up. When shades... When shade is warranted. When shade is warranted, boy, we'll throw the shit out of it. cover this whole town in it. But the police did a phenomenal job, and I can't say enough about them. Quote, it's the worst terror that any parent can ever feel. There's such a sense of it not being real somehow. It does not seem possible that your child could be missing, that someone could have taken your child. Just, I mean, to be so uncaring and so evil that you could do something like that is something I could never understand. I don't, I cannot fathom it, to be honest with you. Morgan was last seen at approximately 10.45 p.m. Witnesses told authorities that they had observed an unidentified Caucasian male watching Morgan play on the field earlier in the night. The man apparently approached a group of children playing with Morgan and asked them a question. Now, investigators have never publicly released any details about what was told about that conversation. Now, interviews were conducted with those still at the park, and several eyewitnesses corroborated the other two friends' story and also provided additional details on the creepy man. Also, if you're a group of three girls, you should not be playing with any creepy man. You should get the hell out of Dodge as fast as possible. Squeal and run. Yeah. You scream out, that's my purse. (laughs) I don't know you. And you run the hell away. Now, the man was described as a Caucasian male between the ages of 23 and 38 years old and spoke with a, quote, hillbilly accent. 
He had a medium build at approximately 180 pounds and was estimated to be six foot tall. And he had salt and pepper colored hair that was slicked back with a mustache and a one inch thick beard. That's some pretty phenomenal. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got. Get the click. Yes. The truck he was driving was a low wheelbase red Ford pickup with dulled paint and a white camper shell that had curtains on the inside covering the windows. Witnesses noted that the camper shell was too short for the bed and there was rear damage on the passenger side. The vehicle left the field's parking lot at approximately the same time Morgan disappeared. The truck had a dull paint job due to age and, a, and like we said, a short wheelbase. The camper was possibly damaged on its right rear and witnesses stated that the camper appeared to be four to five inches shorter than the truck. So there's a huge gap on the bed of this truck. And we will post a picture of this, and it's a grainy photo, but that is the truck that is in anything that you look at when you look up this case. Hmm. Now, authorities sub subsequently learn the truck was caught on a home video by a person who was recording the Little League ball games that night. And that still photo that is now part of this case was taken from that home video. It is not possible to see the truck's driver in the video, however. Now, whether this is related, it depends on what you breed. Some sources state that two attempted abductions occurred in the general area on June 9th and June 10th. In Alma, a suspect resembling Morgan's abductor enticed a four-year-old girl into his red truck. Well, of course it's related, though. I mean, it might not be the same person. It might not, but... How is an abduction in the same town not, you know, related? How is there not a panic? Because well, this is right in the middle of, and this this is near West Mystic Feet. Uh, West Mem Get it out, baby. Get it out. The West Memphis Three case, right? This is close to that time period. I don't know how far away Alma is from West Memphis, and I'm not gonna look it up. But <laughs> he's literally holding a phone in his hand. I'm not gonna look it up. But Surely to God. Oh, fuck it, fuck it. I've got to look it up now. He, we have, I have browbeat him into looking it up. The I'm frucker's going to look it I'm up. I'm not looking up. The <laughs> okay. That frucker's going to look it up, boys. It was in, um, and the murders occurred in 1993. The convictions occurred in 1994. The West Memphis Three. Okay. Um, Alma. Arkansas directions. If it's near the Ozark Mountains, it's probably a good couple of hours because West Memphis is right there on the the border in the east uh, Arkansas. border of Tennessee. East Arkansas, <laughs> smart ice, son of a <laughs> frucker. Okay, it's three hours and fifty one minutes, but two hundred sixty six miles. However, it's the same state. That would be something like something happening in Savannah, and us hearing about it in uh, wherever the hell we're from. It'd be like we're gonna hear about it. Well, and the other thing is, like I said, it's satanic panic going on, so everybody should be on alert in the in the South because everybody was thumping Bibles and telling that the devil was gonna take everybody. But now the one in Alma, and like I said, this depends on what you read. Either this guy had no ties to the area 
when he tried to entice a four-year-old into his truck that was interrupted by the girl's mother and screamed and he released the girl. Or if you read other things, this was the father of the girl and there was a restraining order out against him and he couldn't be anywhere in Uh, the vicinity. Well, that changes everything. And all that research was for nothing, if that's true. Now, in Fort Smith, Arkansas, which is only 15 miles from Alma, a suspect tried to entice a nine-year-old girl into the men's restroom at a convenience store. He stopped when the girl resisted. Authorities state that these incidents both involve the same man, but again, it depends on what you read. Now we get into the sketch, and this is a little... Sketchy? Yeah. Bang, nailed it. You did. You were right there, buddy. You were on top of things today. Best in the build, Neil. (laughs) There was the initial composite sketch, and then a new one came out five years later. Five years, okay? The initial composite was based on a man who was supposedly seen trying to kidnap someone at that laundromat, who the police state didn't have anything to do with Morgan's case. And that story was debunked because it was, like I said, rumors are it was a domestic dispute. So that means for five years, people are looking for the wrong freaking person. Ooh, that's so, not good. No. So why did they keep that same sketch? No one knows. <sighs> then on top well, of... I mean, honestly, they may have not had anything else to go on. Well, true. I mean, you you got to have something because... The, the public will come for your head if you are investigating child abduction. a child abduction, a murder, or whatever in a small town, and that you are not visibly trying to solve this case. Like, you got to have something in the paper every day. Because them old men at Hardee's... Need something to talk about. They need something to talk about, and by God, if they're like... I wish we had Dog back then. He'd have been on it. The, the bounty hunter? Yeah, because I'm going to tell you something. He's after that one guy, yeah, huh? Yeah. But I digress. He, he looks like life's kicked him right in the face. Well, he lost his wife, man. That's true. And he ain't no spring chicken. No, he ain't. Dang, man, that sucks. He wasn't a spring chicken when the show was on. That's true. But anyway. All right, so. We thought this case was going to be short, but, man. We, we lied. We've rambled until it's going to be. So on <laughs> top of all that debauchery. Someone finally comes forward and gives I don't the police think debauchery is the right word. With the sketch, there's there's some debauchery going on with the I sketch. Don't think, no, I don't think that's the right word, dude. Debauchery is like when you're just out sinning all the time, sinning, and there was some sinning going on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about debauchery you. is basically what I do on a nightly on basis. A weekend. <laughs> all right, so it's unsavory. I don't commit crimes. But you're one one beer away. (laughs) But anyway, no one knows whether this new sketch was ever shown to the two girls that were playing with Morgan that night. Okay, now that is unacceptable. I think the police could come out with that. They could have at least said, hey, we've presented this sketch to people at... They don't even have to name the two girls. They could have just said, we've presented this sketch to people that saw the red truck and this guy resembles. You know, they could, you know, they need to do it. I don't care if you say it or not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so here is a loose timeline of events Because we've been throwing dates and years And 300 mile West Memphis 3 around So on June 9th, an attempted abduction of a 4-year-old girl Was reported in Alma The attempted abduction stopped when the girl screamed And was saved by her mother 
this suspect resembled supposedly Morgan's abductor. June 10th, an attempted abduction of a nine-year-old girl just 15 minutes away in Fort Smith was attempted, but the girl got away when she screamed, and the guy was trying to entice her into a men's restroom, and supposedly that is the same guy that looks, you know, that resembles Morgan's abductor. So, yes, this it is connected. We have established that. We're solving cases. That's two weeks in a row. Yep. Okay. <laughs> so, in 1996, Morgan's mother, Colleen... <laughs> I had to think about what case we did. <laughs> ...launches the Morgan Nick Foundation. The foundation focuses on intervention, education, and legislation. The same year, the Arkansas Alert System was named in honor of Morgan. All right, so on June 9, 1996, it is the one-year anniversary of Morgan's abduction. A pink balloon release is hosted in honor of Morgan. Small rant. Don't do that. Don't do balloon releases. That's terrible for the environment. And stop doing crazy gender reveals, man. Like, like what, last summer they burned down half of California. I'm pretty sure it's still on fire. Probably, but... <laughs> People getting killed. Oh, he got ran over by his tractor. What was he doing? He had a gender reveal party. <laughs> oh, I don't know if that one's true, but it, it ain't. Have you seen that TikTok video where there uh, there's two tractors doing hay, and the one guy, it's on autopilot, basically. The one guy hops out of his tractor as they're about to pass, and he runs up, and he knocks on the other tractor's door, and he opens it up, and he goes, I like your tractor, and he turns around and runs off. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, that you got to do something. I mean, yeah. they're out in the middle of a hundred acres, probably. But anyway, all right. I also like the one where it's just two guys on a staircase. One walks by the other one. He goes, "I like bananas." <laughs> I about spit that everywhere. <laughs> yeah, that's all he says. He goes, "I like bananas." Like leans in. I like bananas. <laughs> he keeps walking. Dude's just like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> All right, so in Jan- on January 4th, 2001, police released a new composite sketch of the suspect in Morgan's case. February of 2001, the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children releases an age progression photo of Morgan, who would be 12 in 2001. August 28th, 2001, Morgan's case airs on Unsolved Mysteries. January 15th of 2002, a tip suggested that Morgan's body could be located on a private property in Boonville, Arkansas. And, man, they they say that the, the tip is so credible that they have to do something, and by God, they do. Yeah, They're the, on it. The information was deemed so specific and credible that the police initiated an immediate examination on January 15th, the same day the tip came in. See... Me saying that without you saying it first proves that I did at least a little research. Just a a little bit. I might have read the same Wikipedia article you did. After a full day of digging with a backhoe, nothing was unearthed, and the investigation was concluded around 9.30 p.m. with nothing found. On January 9th of 2009, Arkansas State Police revamped the notification system for abducted and missing children to speed up notification alerts. November 16th of 2010, a narcotics officer 35 miles away in Spiro or Spiro, I don't know how you say that, Oklahoma, alerted investigators in Crawford County to an abandoned trailer home belonging to a convicted child molester who was serving time in prison. The information supplied was directly focused on Morgan's case specifically, but the individual had been considered a viable person of interest since the very beginning of Morgan's case. 
and had not been ruled out by authorities. So detectives in Crawford County assisted with the investigation at the property, hoping to locate any DNA evidence pertaining to Morgan, but none was uncovered. August 20th of 2010, Nancy Grace reports about Morgan's case as a, quote, cold case. I hate Nancy Grace. Yeah, there's not many people that like her. Speaking of Karens. Oh, my God. She's Queen Karen, bro. August 14th of 2011, ABC's Extreme Makeover Home Edition and John Walsh, the co-founder of the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, teamed up to focus on the issue of missing children and highlighted Morgan's abduction. Colleen and Morgan's siblings were the recipients of a brand new home. On June 23rd, 2012, Tanya Renee Smith, 24, of Hollister, Missouri, was arrested for allegedly trying to steal the identity of Morgan. She allegedly tried to purchase vital vital personal documents and information belonging to Morgan, including Morgan's birth certificate. There's a nice mugshot of that piece of crap. Yeah, you shouldn't do that kind of stuff. December 18th, 2017, the FBI, the Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, and local authorities were dispatched to the scene of a possible crime in Sparrow after receiving another seemingly crucial tip regarding a water well that led investigators back to the same abandoned trailer home they had searched seven years prior. The LaFleur County Sheriff, Rob Seal, along with the FBI and numerous cadaver dogs, spent the entire afternoon combing for evidence, but regrettably, their efforts were fruitless. Police searched the well and the backyard of the residence for another 10 hours. So that trailer and that land has been thoroughly combed over by authorities on two separate occasions. December 19th of 2017, no evidence regarding Morgan's case was found at that trailer, so they call off the search again. Morgan's mother, Colleen, didn't just rest on her laurels. After Morgan disappeared, Colleen took up residence for six weeks at a volunteer fire station next to the police department in Alma. And like we said, when she went missing, it was around 4,000 people. And depending on the census that you read, it fluctuates between four and 5,000 people in Alma. And she is quoted as saying, I was absolutely not going home without my daughter. She recalls that Morgan loved cats, apples, thought bubblegum was a food group. <laughs> Morgan didn't like to run and play outside because it made her sweat. She also remembers going to the police station the night that she disappeared And she called her husband, which they were estranged at the time, who was living in Texas. And she says, quote, I remember saying, you have to come to Alma. Morgan is missing. End quote. She says that I couldn't even talk. I handed the phone to the police officer. And like we said at the beginning, authorities hit the ground running the night Morgan disappeared. The Alma police chief, and he's only referred to as Chief White, told Dateline in an episode that was run on Morgan's case, we reached out for help from local agencies, the state police, and the FBI. And I'm going to stop right there for a second. This is a man that realized real quick he did not have the resources in his little town. No. And he wasn't too proud to ask for help. He immediately called the state police, the FBI, and got them involved at the very beginning. See, and some some people may be like, well, yeah, that's what you do. Mm, that's not common. 
a lot of them are too dang proud to ask ever ask for help. And it and it's a shame because not even proud. They're just like I don't dumbass is help. what they are. Yeah, they think it. God handed them the badge. Yeah, exactly. We've all met one of them guys. Several of them work in my hometown. Uh, some of them work in this county too, son. Hell, I went to school with one of them. Chief White stated we were running a pretty big crew. The FBI brought in lots of extra people and resources we did not have, like a computer system that could handle this kind of case, which helped tremendously. And that's the type of things. They brought in someone that can take that huge influx of tips. They can categorize them. The police even turned a courtroom into a call center for all the tips that were pouring in the night she disappeared. The FBI brought their mobile command center and parked it in the courthouse parking lot. The volunteer fire station was across the street, and that's where Colleen and her family moved for six weeks, and it became the volunteer headquarters for searches. I can't say enough about the town of Alma. Yeah. Now, there, it may be meth central now, but at the time... It was pro- I mean, there hadn't... I mean, it sounds like there's... I don't know about central. <laughs> I know, that's in Georgia. You know, Colleen says the community in Alma took care of us. It was pretty amazing, especially because we weren't from that community. We saw so much happening with law enforcement that while we struggled, we truly believed they were doing everything they could. All of our friends, family, and churchgoers started grid searching. We opened our home and gave the officers our house keys and told them, do whatever you need to do to find Morgan. Wow. And see, and I think as a parent... And as an adult, that's what you want to see. You're grieving, and you don't want to see the police dragging their feet or not calling yeah, who they should. a little bit of effort. Yeah. Goes a long way. And even in, in helping the grieving process. like Because it makes you feel better that you know someone else is out care. there. Yes, yes. If there's a missing person and you see no movement, no effort whatsoever, it's like, man, no one even cared. Like. It's just it's awful to even think about, but it happens. And unfortunately, it happens more than not. Now, investigators gathered home videos from the surrounding areas to search for vehicles matching the description the kids at the ball game had given. They collected bottles, cigarette butts, and other various items from the ball fields. Chief White is on record stating, We have tons of DNA from those items, but we don't know if any of them are our suspects. We've had probably dozens of leads that we got excited about, but as we investigate them, we realize that those people couldn't possibly have done it. I can tell you how many dogs we've deployed, wells that we've searched, holes that we've dug. None of them have panned out, and it's disappointing, but pretty normal for a case like this. We still have tons of tips coming in every week, Chief White said. It's very unusual for a 24-year-old case to still have so many leads. Now, it's much older now, but when that article that I got that from, yeah, you know, at the time, it was 24-year-old. That, yeah, that is pretty crazy, though, to think that they're still getting active leads in a freaking quarter of a decade, I mean, quarter of a century. I'm going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> I tried. I gave I gave it an effort. Yeah, you did. Just, you did great, man. Like, I really appreciate it. I went like, for the gipper, bud. I, like, ran out. I was like, yeah, I ain't going to talk to them. Yeah, I'm tired. I'm By the end dead. of it, I was like, words. I'm tired, boss. <laughs> now, Morgan's mother, Colleen, is on record stating she's not a number. She is not a statistic. She is not a case file. She is my daughter. She is a sister. She is a granddaughter. She's a friend, and she is someone worth fighting for. If you're not on the front line fighting for your daughter, no one else will. So it is my job to make sure she never gets lost. Well, I, I mean, she's not wrong. 
Yeah, until someone can prove to me that Morgan is not coming home, then I'm going to fight for her, is what she said. She is not wrong. In the years following Morgan's disappearance, Colleen started the Morgan Nick Foundation to help prevent other families from going through an ordeal similar to hers. Yeah, you think about people that are grieving and they're, they're distraught and they're, their whole world is shattered. They could just sit there and be sad their whole life, but not this woman. Not this woman. She wanted to make sure that nothing else bad happened to other people's children. And if they did, there would be at least somebody there to help when it comes to, like, compensation. And, well, just little things. Food. Food. Well, places yeah, that's what say. I'm saying. Like, yeah. if you lose your loved one, there's there's people that just, they devote their life 24-7 to finding their kid, and they quit their job, they quit everything. And there's at least now a foundation that will, try to help you when it comes to that. Colleen says that when something so tragic happens to your your child, there is a need to do something of great value. There is a great need to talk about prevention. The Morgan Nick Foundation has done face-to-face presentations with over 40,000 children in Arkansas about cyber safety, sex trafficking, being home alone, stranger danger, and many other topics. Correct. We are trying to fill the gap that wasn't filled when we needed it the most. Now, the current investigation, basically, you know, the difficulty in solving this case is the lack of physical evidence and the fact that no one really witnessed her getting into a vehicle. Yeah, whatever this person did, they had the perfect opportunity to do it because you're right, there's no physical evidence if he, like, she's out in the middle of a field. It's not like he's going to accidentally brush up against something and leave fingerprints. Yeah, and I mean, there's 300 people there, and for him to be able to get her and conceal her and get out of there, it's... the quest. My questions remaining would be, why no scream? So that leads me to believe that she left willingly. And it could have been one of them crazy, and this sounds hokey, Hey, I've lost my dog. Can you help me look for it? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. You know, it could have been, could have quite easily been something like that. Or I, you know, come, you'll see my new puppy. You want some candy, you know, whatever. But just how would they, and then I would ask, how was he able to walk her to whatever vehicle he got in? Because they were not near cars at first. According to the, the girls, they walked to the cars, but. And it's almost like they were playing it's in the not, field, and then they come yeah. to the cars to get the sand out, and then they were going to the bleachers. Yeah. Just my question would be, how does that happen without anybody seeing? But it's not. It's certainly not impossible, as we know. We clearly know. But he had the perfect opportunity, in my opinion, to get away with this. And unfortunately, right he now did. he has. I mean, how, how many... How, how old is this case? Like 30-something years old? Let's see. She disappeared on 1995, June 9th of 1995. So if he's on the the, the further end of the their age estimates, he's damn near 70. Yeah. He's like Golden State Killer age. Yeah. But he's at least 50, 60. Minimum, yeah. So there's no – I mean, I just don't think there's any way that this is going to – be resolved and that's so that's so sad but at the very least some good came out of it with the the morgan nick foundation 
So I looked him up. His name is Chief Russell White of the Alma Police. And he's, oh, I was like, how'd you get the name of the killer? Like, I looked him up. His, <laughs> he was on Google. His name was Rufus. <laughs> and Chief Russell White is on record of stating this was in with, with this was within the last couple of years. What makes it a hard case to crack is that it's real. It's a real simple crime. It's not a conspiracy. It does not involve a lot of people. This is probably a person by nature who is a loner, had very few friends. He committed a crime and has not told a soul. And if I mean, definitely a crime of opportunity, but the for someone to do that and not get caught, there's a good chance they never did it again. They may have tried on those two other cases and both failed and was like, man, screw that. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go to jail. And that's, I, I mean, may, yeah, I mean, maybe he was deterred. <laughs> deterred. He said deterred. Uh, maybe the man was deterred by the two... <laughs> Okay, now I keep Killing laughing. Killing yourself, aren't you? No, I keep laughing now. Once I emphasize turd, I was like, okay, I'm losing it. But he may have become discouraged at the two failings and got scared and was like, I really, I really can't do this again. Or he was like, I'm go. He moved to another state. He went somewhere else. And but since Morgan was never found, there was no opportunity to receive DNA. So he. He could have been caught. This guy could have been caught for another crime. He could have been in jail. He could be in jail today. We just don't know, and he's not saying. No. Now, police have a room filled with documents recording thousands of leads that multiply more quickly than can be checked and eliminated, Chief White said. Hundreds of potential persons of interest remain in the case files because their alibis or whereabouts at the time have not been fully vetted. White said investigators have pinned their hopes on apprehending an unidentified man who was at the game and who, according to witnesses, made some sort of contact with Morgan. Details of his brief interaction with Morgan have not been disclosed by authorities because they need to screen out the false confessions, Chief White said. Now, an inmate in Indiana recently claimed responsibility, but that inmate could not recall the specifics and his confession was dismissed. Well, just because, I mean, I don't know. I don't get it. I mean, hey, I did this murder 30 years ago, but I can't remember exactly what I did and what happened. I don't know. I don't think you can. I, I'm going to tell you I something. Mean, Most of yeah. those guys that do that know every detail Yeah, because I that's mean, what you, they hang on. Yeah, you've got a point. But Now, Chief White said, <laughs> we're always trying new approaches and getting fresh eyes on the case, but not a lot has changed in what we know. With a case this age, there's a lot of misinformation, things that waste our resources. The person who did this was someone who is a loner by nature, not a lot of friends or family. He committed the crime and probably did not even tell his closest family. Uh, yeah, probably not. Yeah, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't either. Now, so there was... You gotta, it's gotta, you got to really deal with the guilt if you don't tell somebody. Yeah. yeah. Better than spending the rest of my life in prison or going to death row. Now, there was a documentary, and I have not seen it, but it is called the Still Missing Morgan documentary. This is where the investigators revealed the red truck with the camper shell on it. Investigators say new leads have poured in since the documentary aired on THV 11 in northwest Arkansas. Quote, the exposure the case is getting right now and the type of leads we are getting, we feel like we are close to solving this case. We're just asking someone to pick up the phone and call us. We know someone has the answers we need, and we need their help. Every lead, nearly 300 new ones just the month that the documentary was released, 
are sifted through carefully. Now, when she disappeared, Morgan Nick was approximately four feet tall, weighed about 55 pounds. She had blonde hair, blue eyes, five visible silver caps on her molars, and she was wearing a green Girl Scout t-shirt, blue denim shorts, and white tennis shoes. If you have any information about this, please contact the Alma Police Department or the FBI. So we've kind of, you know, given our thoughts throughout the whole podcast, so there's not a whole lot to sum it up. I mean, she was abducted. She was most likely murdered, unfortunately. And I honestly don't think this case is ever going to be solved. He didn't leave enough evidence behind, and he's probably gone or he's probably in jail for another crime. And as you know, listening to this podcast, we were piss poor at answering questions. <laughs> we can relay, relay the hell out of some information. That's right. But we can't process it and uh, regurgitate it in any form that would resemble an answer. So recommendations, I know you have one that you were itching to let the people know. Well, I recently started watching it, and unfortunately I started watching it six weeks into a ten-week season. So I binge-watched all six episodes and then was like, Okay, what do I do now? <laughs> and it's called Only Murders in the Building, which it's on Hulu, and it's got Steve Martin and Martin Short, which are awesome. And uh, it is about them. There's a strange murder inside their building. They are all, them Them two and Selena Gomez are obsessed with uh, true crime podcasts, so they decide to make one. And it's really, 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 really well written. Uh, the jokes aren't too overly funny to to make the uh, the murder pointless. You know what I'm trying to say? Kind of like us. Like I think we do a good job at being funny, but not slapstick. Yeah, we're, we're not slapstick. We're not farce. We don't make fun of the victims. We might make one offhand comment and get 2,500 uh, hate emails <laughs> from that one one <laughs> podcast that I, I said something. But <laughs> anyway, yes, please get on Hulu. Please give it a watch. And man, it's awesome. So that's all I know. My recommendation is from the YouTube channel, The Missing Enigma. It is about a 16 and a half minute, almost 17 minute little episode they do. It's called The Missing People of Mount Rainier National Park. Very missing 411. You are so all over these missing things now. I've gotten I've just gotten you. Obsessed, just yes. as obsessed. Yes, I am. Thank you for your plague. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got anything you want to add there, Slick? No, I sure don't. All right, well, deuces. <laughs>